What's up, everyone? I'm Brady Morgan, and I'm the host of the Budget Trek Podcast. If you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and review and rate the podcast. That would be very much appreciated. Before we dive in, I want to talk about our sponsor. SocialX is a community of entrepreneurs working together to make a positive impact on the world, scale their businesses, make more money, and build their networks with like-minded individuals. They teach entrepreneurs how to go from zero to six figures through weekly mastermind calls featuring top business leaders, online courses, and amazing events all over the country. If you're interested in learning more about SocialX, go to socialxevents.com and tell them you came from the Budget Trek podcast. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? It is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Budget Trek podcast today with Keon Golzari. He is a product development and sourcing expert, and he has mentored over 200 Amazon entrepreneurs on better sourcing practices. Keon, what's up, man? I'm great, man. I'm great. How you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. So, Thanks for coming on the show. Before we dive into your story and everything, I always like to kind of give an intro into what Budstruck actually is for the newer listeners. So essentially it started as me and my wife's platform of accountability and kind of documenting our, our journey to financial freedom and the struggles and successes along that way. But I wanted people to take those struggles and successes and apply it to their own journey, whatever that is, because everyone does have a different journey entrepreneurship, life, whatever. But then I started interviewing people and I figured everyone has different stories, different struggles, different successes, and people can also take from that. So that's where we are today. But before we get into your story and how it plays into the foundation of this podcast, I always ask this preliminary question. What is the dumbest thing you have ever spent money on? Uh, Dumbest thing for sure has to be the club because it's not only the money that you spend when you're in the club, like, you know, if you're buying tables and bottle service, you're talking about a few hundred dollars, but it's everything else that comes with it. You know, like the clothes that you buy to get into the club, the people that you're trying to impress when you're in the club. And then like, you know, all those things don't even matter. Like once you leave the club, not to mention like the, the effect that has on productivity and stuff like that after you leave. So I feel it's like a phase that everyone has to go through in their life just to get out of their system. But looking back when I, I used to do that I was like how stupid was I like now you know rather than spending $500 on a night out if you spend $500 on like Facebook ads that can convert into like you know two or three thousand dollars and that would be way better off but it's just something that you have to go through and learn from but yeah that's probably definitely the dumbest thing yeah I I think uh, with a lot of people I've interviewed I mean they're, they're all pretty much around our age in their 20s early 30s and a lot of people say that same answer of you know going to clubs getting bottle service or paying for all their friends drinks and like that sounds great like everybody wants to do that but when you're starting out your entrepreneurship journey and you don't have the money to do that or you do but you don't have a way to replicate that in your business then it's dumb right but if you're a billionaire and you're like yeah i'm gonna go buy my friends drinks every night like by all means do it you can afford it it doesn't matter right but i think a lot of people try to do what everyone else is doing. And of course, going out is fun, but you have to keep your eyes on the bigger picture, right? And I think that's what a lot of people lack. But awesome, man. I want to dive into your story because I know there's a lot to it. You sent me this whole bio, but I told you I wasn't going to say everything on the bio. So go ahead and give me and my audience a more in-depth view of who you actually are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I grew up in Edinburgh, Scotland from the UK. I went to university in Miami. And then after that, I went went to China and I've lived there sort of back and forth for the last 10 years. And in that 10 years, I basically went into sort of manufacturing and product development roles. So the time I was living in China, I was working for a lot of different factories. And in those 10 years, I developed over two and a half thousand products, visited over 500 different factories. And that was for like a variety of different brands. Like I was manufacturing products for my own like family business, but then also manufacturing products for the 
NBA, NFL, Olympics, United Nations, like big box retailers, uh, Amazon private label seller brands, like so a really wide variety. And you know, a lot of people always ask me like, oh, how is it that you can supply like the NBA and also Amazon sellers and like United Nations who've got like completely different buyers. But I feel it just comes down to like, the common denominator of being very, very good at sourcing the best possible products from the best possible factories at the best possible price. And you know, that's not something that happens like overnight. That happens as a result of you know working and living in China for 10 years and understanding the culture and understanding how factories make decisions and how products are actually made and getting on the production line and actually making it yourself, like being a product practitioner, testing it yourself. Loads of different things that go into it. Whereas I feel that people have sort of, sort of been trained today, all right, just go on alibaba.com, type in your product, buy it from your supplier, like drop ship it or whatever. And it's like you're missing so many key important aspects of right. the buying process. Everyone always thinks that like, you know, the profits come from the selling price, but really the profit also comes from the buying price as well. Like if you've been buying something for $10 and you're selling hundreds of thousands of them, but you could have actually bought it for eight, then you're saving hundreds of thousands of dollars up front on the unit cost, which can then go into other things like hiring your team and scaling and investing in ads and all that sort of stuff. So that's the one big area where I feel it's been neglected in this whole sort of like e-commerce industry. Uh, but it's interesting because that sort of allowed me to do a lot of uh, coaching and consulting and speaking at events and then like manufacturing for a bunch of different brands as well. We're just adding value to their business as well. So it's quite cool. Yeah, I think that's awesome, man. Do, do you think Alibaba is good? Or do you think it, it's missing a piece of actually guiding people through that process? Because just like well, you said, it, it's it's an online marketplace. Like I could go on there and place an order for 100 t-shirts that are $3 mm -hmm. a piece. But you're saying yeah. if I did my research, I could find those same t-shirts for a dollar a piece somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think it purely depends on at what stage you are in your business. Because there's major pros and cons to like purchasing from Alibaba. Like the major pros are that like you don't have to go to China to then go and purchase product. You can literally type in a search, whatever you want to buy, you can talk to loads of different manufacturers, and then hey, like you, you can go through their like trade assurance program and purchase from one of their gold suppliers, and you can buy from a reputable supplier without actually stepping foot in China. But I think that's great to get started because a lot of people don't actually get profitable on their e-commerce like business until maybe their second or the third product, and they go through the teething process and they learn the entire thing and the entire system. But as soon as your business becomes profitable and you're like, okay, I've figured this system out now, I'm starting to make money from this thing, that's the best time for you to like go to China. You've now like outgrown Alibaba because on, on Alibaba there exists like a lot of middlemen, like a lot of people who are just sort of in between the buyer and the factory and they're just trying to make a margin or a profit in between. And it's known that like, you know, a lot of trading companies are on Alibaba and they basically steal images from Amazon listings put those images on their Alibaba listing, as soon as they get an order for it, then they go and find a factory for it, and they're just adding on their 10% margin or 20% margin onto your product that you could have just avoided if you went directly to the manufacturer. But then a lot of people are like, well, how do I just get on a plane and go to China and find a manufacturer? Well, there's a lot of different um, exhibitions, like the Canton Fair is the biggest one in the world. It's the biggest, largest import-export fair in the world that happens twice a year. It's over three phases. It's got over 25,000 different, 25, different suppliers, like under one roof. It's very organized in terms of different categories, whether you want to buy like uh, pet products or games or massage chairs or whatever, Christmas lights, it's all there. And you can basically talk to all these different suppliers under one roof, um, have maybe you know, 10, 15, 20 meetings for the same product in one day. You can pick who's your best manufacturer, you can negotiate the price, you can feel the products. And that actually saves you a lot of time and a lot of money because like think of the amount of time you waste sending emails back and forth, 
sending samples back and forth are costly, then you don't actually know, okay, the sample is sent me, is this legit, is this what I'm actually gonna get? But when you're actually on the ground, you it allows you to build relationships. And I always feel that, okay, people buy from people. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with like the buyer of a big company uh, or a factory boss, like it's all about sparking the right relationships with the right people. And as soon as you develop those relationships with like Chinese factory owners, then they start to extend you a lot of favors. Like, okay, I can support you. I can give you credit on your first order. I can show you the products that we're working on as well. And there's just so many different things or benefits you can get from having a real relationship with real manufacturers. And Alibaba doesn't quite give you that, but it's good to get you started. Yeah, I think that's definitely key in any business is relationships. Because yeah, like the internet makes it really easy to transact business, but do you really know who you're working with? Do you really know what you're going to get until you actually have it, until you've already paid for the service, whatever that is? So I do agree with you, but, but going to China, I think a lot of people would have the fear that there might be some sort of language barrier. Mm-hmm. Is there? When you no, go to not at all. So like I, um, I didn't speak any Chinese when I went there for the first time. And normally the factory bosses speak a decent amount of English, but if they don't, their sales staff always speak English. So you can always communicate with their sales team. I've never needed a translator. And like I learned the language when I, when I lived there, so it's pretty shaky now, but I can get by. Um, but no, you don't necessarily need to learn a language. And there's always like translation apps as well. Right. There's, just no, there's just nothing like doing business like in person, face to face with a product in front of you. Because you know, you've heard of like Chinese whispers, like what is your perception of something might be someone else's perception, but if you're both right. sitting there with a product right in front of you and you're like, no, this fabric needs to be this color, and you've got it in your hand, it just avoids major problems. Yeah, yeah, I think that's key. And I, and I think doing business in person, like you said, is definitely easier. I, I think it kind of gives you that, that peace of mind like that you said both parties understand what's going on rather than through an email okay do they understand what i'm trying to say etc but tell me because you know obviously everyone knows about this whole coronavirus thing going on yeah does that negatively affect sourcing products from china right now yeah definitely um for for a number of different reasons because like first of all you have to consider what are the areas most affected because the coronavirus has affected like certain areas really hard in china but other areas not so much so a lot of people think of China as like a one-size-fits-all policy, but really like Wuhan where the virus broke out, like that's just like a no-go zone, people aren't going back to work. But other areas like the Fujian province, like where I get my bags manufactured, they're all back to work. They've only had eight cases in that city, no deaths, and they're like, everything's fine. So like if you listen to one person, everyone's quarantined and in hospital, and another person says, yeah, we're fine, we're back to work. It purely depends on like which province or which city your factory is located depends on how your products are affected. But the, the bad thing about Corona is that it happened during Chinese New Year, which mm-hmm. is like biggest people migration in the world. So quite often these factory workers aren't from the town that, that they work in and they have to migrate to that area. So a lot of people just couldn't travel. So even if your area is not affected, um, they may not be back to work just because if people haven't been able to travel back there. But the most important thing you can do is check in with your manufacturers. And that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about your relationships that you have with people. Because like once you check in with them, first of all, you have to make sure they're okay because you know there's a serious virus where people are dying. So right. first thing you don't want to ask is, hey, how's my orders affected? You want to ask, <laughs> uh, you know, are you okay? Is your family okay? Yeah, okay. exactly. Everyone good. All right, perfect, cool. Now, you know, when do you think you guys are going to be back to full capacity and all this sort of stuff? And you just want to ask those questions so that you can get to the front of the production schedule because there's going to be like a 
loads and loads of orders they have to get through, all the orders which have built up over the New Year period that they haven't been able to supply. So they can just pick and choose whichever one's going to be the most profitable. But if you have a good relationship with them, you'll be like, hey, I've got this customer, I really need this order done, please, please just put this in front of your schedule since you're back to full capacity, and, and then it's done. So yeah, you really have to stay in touch with your manufacturer, build those relationships. And also, there's just a lot of like misinformation online as well, so it's really important like who you listen to, because a lot of people are like posting articles on Facebook for like clickbait and stuff like that, right? And trying to scare people. Whereas if you actually just listen to the World Health Organization and, and people like that and official sources, you can get a, a good picture of what's actually going on. And it seems the situation in China is actually resolving itself, and people are getting better. And they're shutting down a lot of the emergency hospitals that they built, but it's now the rest of the world which is in a bit of trouble. Uh, and it started breaking out in different countries like uh, Korea and Italy and places like mm. that. So that's now the challenge. Yeah. And, and I don't mean for us to talk about coronavirus, but my opinion is I think being in the U.S. that a lot of people are blowing it out of proportion. Like I understand people are dying. Like that's not good. But I think that if you look at the stats, you have doctors and, and people of that nature saying, it's not as big of a deal as the press and media are making it out to be. Yeah. Of course, don't be stupid. I mean, be sanitary, wash your hands like always. Don't go licking grocery store floors. Don't do yeah. stupid stuff like that. Just, just take care of your body. Yeah. And if you look at stats, I think, if not all, a large majority of the people that have died have already been immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. There are already people with weak immune systems. And of yeah. course, you can strengthen your immune system, but... Like the doctor saying, wash your hands, take care of your body, go work out, eat healthy, and you'll be okay. But mm-hmm. the media is spreading this fear that you have to quarantine yourself in your room, uh, have, a, have a mask, whatever that is. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a reason the economy is kind of taking a dip right now too, because people are, are scared. For sure. But I mean, the media kind of controls a lot of everything. So <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I 100% agree with you. But I always think that like, okay, if this thing was as serious as they were making it out to be, like let's say a virus did outbreak and it was like 10 times worse than they say it was and people were actually getting affected and dying. Um, I, I was thinking like, wow, like how massively underprepared we are if there is to be a virus like this yeah. that does affect people. Because I was sort of looking at my own apartment and I was like, well, I don't have like a surplus of like emergency food. Uh, yeah. and I don't have like hand sanitizers. I don't have a mask. I don't have a hazmat suit. And it's like now I'm starting to think, okay, the coronavirus isn't as serious as we thought it would be. But it would make sense to have all of these things in my apartment just in case something did break out and I had to quarantine myself for two weeks. I wouldn't be able to survive in my apartment for two weeks. I don't have enough stuff there. Yeah. So now I'm sort of thinking, okay, I need to make some changes uh, in my life to make sure I'm prepared (laughs) for something like this does happen for, for real. But don't spend too much money because it's about personal finance. We got to, you know, yeah, 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 got to be smart. Sure. So, so tell me, let's talk about your experience with uh, product development and sourcing. When did you first get into this? Because I mean, nowadays, I'm sure you see it. Everyone sells on Amazon. Everyone is an yeah. expert. Of course, you've proven that you are. But I'm sure when you first started out, you're, you had a million questions that you had to answer yourself. Yeah, for sure. So I was really lucky. I started in 2010 and I went into a family business as soon as I graduated from university. Um, my, my dad basically set up a camping and outdoor company because those were his passions, um, like tents, backpacks, sleeping bags, anything for the outdoors. And, you know, he, he was already manufacturing his products in China. It was like a small to medium-sized company. And he was like, hey, do you want to take over the sort of the buying and the product development role? And like, we can go to China together. I'll show you how it works. I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Because like, 
he's had that business for like 25 years and he grew up from nothing. And so when I was a kid growing up, I could sort of see him going to China and I was always curious. I was so curious like what goes on in China, like how come my dad goes there so often, spends so much time there. So I really wanted to like learn it. So I went over for the first time, it was just supposed to be a two week trip, ended up being a three month trip. I loved it. Uh, ended up setting up an office there, hiring a team there. Then just, I loved the process. And it was really just like solving problems because it's like, I feel the most successful products are the ones that like, how can I make life easier for someone? Right. And through that process of solving problems, working with factories, working with different cultures, I just loved it. Moved there, moved to Shanghai, which was very central in China. And then having that central location allowed me to get out to loads of different factories. So every week I was just going to like, and every single factory, I went to like I learned a different lesson. I learned how like people were like doing business, how products were made, like the good things about it, the bad things about it, you know, a little bit of corruption, what goes on behind the scenes in China, like everything. And that really just opened my mind. So uh, having that experience and that knowledge was then it made it quite easy to develop the best products at the best price to then land clients like the MBA and stuff like that. So a lot of people might look at it on the surface and be like, oh hey, how come there's this young guy like supplying all these companies? It's like, well, it took me ten years like to get to this level, if you know. Right. What I mean. And that's, that's what a lot of people don't see. And I'm glad now that like, you know, Instagram is quite popular. You can document the process. I wasn't on like Instagram or Facebook when I was doing this. Um, but now because of like stories and stuff like that, whenever I go to China, like I story like all the factories I go to, all the meetings I do, like my product development process, how I'm up to like one o'clock in the morning, like testing different concepts. And I'm just glad I can like document that now, if you know what I mean. I'm getting better at it. Uh, I'm sort of like putting out some good video content now to show behind the scenes of like how people can learn from it. But yeah, cool. I really enjoy it. Yeah. I think that's key too. like being, being on social media. I mean, I think social media is a very saturated space nowadays just because everyone's on it trying to build a business and document the process, but it's still good because you can show how you're doing it. Yeah. But I think people also, and not to go against you, but people will have this idea that unless they document their business on social media, then they're not, then they're not actually building a business. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. You still have to build a business, yeah. but documenting it needs to be, you know, second, second tier, secondary. Don't worry about that. Worry about actually building the business. But for sure, just like with people who, who sell Amazon, you know, everyone's an expert. Everyone's a Shopify expert. Everyone is an expert at digital marketing. But yeah. I think you have to have the proof, right? You have to prove that, you know, having the MBA as a client, that's, that's proof enough. You know, I mean, not everybody yeah, yeah. gets that. And it's really interesting you said that as well because I think about this a lot and I think like, okay, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, they weren't posting on Instagram while they were building their business. They just put their head down and they built their business because mm -hmm. think about how much time you spend on social media like documenting when you could have actually just spent that time on your business. Exactly. That's how, I, that's how I like to do it as well. But now I've got to a stage where like people are always asking for help in terms exactly. of product, stuff like that. So I'm like, well, if I can make like a quick five minute video explaining how I've done something and I can share it, then that video can help a lot of people and it will sort of reduce a lot of like messages and stuff that I get sort of helping people. So you're right, I think you have to build it first and then sort of like help people or document it. But doc I think people don't realize how much energy documenting actually takes up. It does, doesn't it? It's not, and even if it's like podcasts as well, it's not just like, I'll oh, put a camera on and let's start chatting. Like there's a lot of research that goes into it beforehand and like, post-production work and then like oh I didn't quite like the lighting on that let's do it like this all oh, the subtitles didn't come out right and it's just it's a lot of work and yeah. uh, like you just have to have the time dedicated to do something like that yeah I, th I think that's key I mean you hit it on the head like post on social media it is not as easy uh, especially when you're being informative because like you said there's a lot of research but I think when you when you post on social media from the perspective that you're going to consult and coach your audience I think that's key but just like you said like 
Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, like they don't, they didn't care about social media. They're on it now. But if you think about the grander scheme of things, if you go to an investor to invest in your business and they're like, well, are you on social media? And you say no. And they're like, well, I'm not going to invest in you. It's like, well, me being on social media has nothing to do with my business plan. Mm-hmm. My business plan is going to change lives outside of social media. But, you know, so in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is a good documentation. It's digital. It's, it's the ability for you to talk to anyone and everyone. Like we would have never gotten, gotten connected if it weren't for social media, you know? Yeah. So it is good. But back to product development and sourcing, what has been your favorite product or your favorite process that you've gone through over the years? Oh man, I've got, I've got a few. Um, so like I'll pick like one in each category, like the favorite, the, the product that I probably got the most personal satisfaction from was like these pillows that we made uh, because that really opened the door to guys like Steph Curry in the NBA because Steph is actually an investor in our company as well. Uh, Cause he's friends with my business partner. They got drafted together in the same year. And you know, when I got asked to come on board this company and manufacture these pillows, I had no idea like the road that was going to take me down. And then I saw like Steph posting the pillows on his Instagram and his social media. And then as a result, we got a deal with Neymar, the soccer player. He saw what Steph was posting. He actually just posted on his Instagram like uh, two weeks ago, a little video we created. And these were like pillows that I made and towels that I made. And I was just like, I can't believe it. Like, you know, he's got 140 million followers and like I think 6 million people watched the video. And our website is still the link in his bio on his Instagram right now. Really? Like, I was just like in this factory in China like two years ago, like in these little village towns. Like, I mean, they're nice. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like shitty places, but like just like in these like little villages in China, like having dinner with local people. And then like now, like Neymar's posting out on the social media and so Steph Curran's just opened up so many doors. So that sort of product took me on a crazy journey. So I really enjoyed that one. Um, Another one is for a new brand, which I'm starting in April. I'm launching in April. I've been working on it for like two years and that's called like Veltra. And I basically like, I travel a lot and I just felt there wasn't a good like travel backpack out there that looked stylish and had all the sort of travel features. Either it has all the features and it looks like terrible and very box shaped mm-hmm. or it looks really nice and doesn't have the right features. Uh, so I just kind of combined the best of both worlds and I put all my manufacturing uh, superpowers to the test and I built like the ultimate carry-on backpack and that's going to lo- uh, launch on Kickstarter in April. I might actually delay it to May now because of the coronavirus. Not many people are like that. <laughs> but I just put like 25 crazy innovative features in that product and everyone who sees it is like wow like that's awesome where can i get one so like i know I've, I've i've hit nail on the head and with i'm just doing it on kickstarter because kickstarter really allows you to build a community and i feel that that's what like a lot of e-commerce people miss out on as well a lot of people just like drop ship products looking just to make a quick profit but i kind of see like okay building a brand and building a community is very much like long term versus short term like are you in this to make money, a little bit of cash, or are you in this to like build wealth? And it's like if you want right. to build a real company with real uh, brand behind you, then you have to go down like building your community. And I feel Kickstarter is the best way to do that because Kickstarter, if someone buys your product on a crowdfunding platform, well, your business now exists because someone has purchased your product, and they now feel an association and a loyalty to that brand as well. And like once you once you build your community, let's say five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand people in like a Facebook group, now you can just like market your products to your community and ask your community what they want and keep launching to the community that you've built, as opposed to keep running like Facebook ads just to get quick sales. You've right. built something yourself. So um yeah, that's my other favorite product. And then the final one's like for the family business, uh Highlander, which is a camping and outdoor bag, I set out to make like the best uh backpack I possibly could have, we call it rucksack, but uh, it was capable of climbing like Mount Everest. So I made this like 65 and 85 liter bag 
and uh, it got picked up by this magazine and it won an award and it beat like all the market leaders like uh, Osprey and uh, Low Alpine and Berghaus and all those other brands. But what was really special about it was that it was half the price as all those guys, but it outscored them in terms of performance and value. And that kind of goes back to the whole product development thing is that a lot of people feel that like if you have to be the best, you have to be the most expensive, but that's really right. not it's like if you know how to develop products properly, you can actually deliver something that's way better than everyone else and be cheaper than everyone else as well. So that was really cool because I know I'm good at what I do, but when a magazine like picked it up and gave us like a double page spread on it, I was like, oh, that was like a really proud moment. So yeah, th those three products uh, have been incredible for me. Yeah, I mean, and just like you said, like when we started this whole interview, we said 2,500 products you've sourced. Yeah, yeah. And you were able to pick three favorites. So. I think what I'm getting there is and kind of a principle is not everything you make is going to be a hit for sure, but it's trial and error and, and it's creating something that means something to you. Cause if you create a product that doesn't mean anything to you and it fails, then you just feel that much more shitty about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. But I you create some, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of failures in there as well. And like exactly. from those failures, we've learned lessons to like not make those mistakes again, to then have our best performing products. If you know what I mean? And exactly. it's been painful failures, it's been expensive failures, but you know, fail once and fail fast and don't make that mistake again. It just makes you a better businessman. Yeah. I think that's key too. And I think a lot of people nowadays are, are scared of failure, but you also have people like you and people like Jeff Bezos saying fail, you, you've got to fail. It's part of it. So, but of course you, everyone has that innate, you know, nature of being scared of failing and letting people down and whatnot. But about that product that you made that is in Neymar's link. So I, I clicked on it and I saw that there was a tribute to Kobe Bryant. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed in the bio that you sent me that he was one of the people that you'd worked with before. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which was, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, well, I was going to say, so kind of tell me about that relationship, you know, or what you did for him and his brand and whatnot. Yeah, so it's interesting. A lot of products that we do um, for the NBA, which is like the players, like blankets and towels and pillows and stuff like that. We did a collection for Kobe as well. But because Kobe was retired at that time, any player who's outside of the NBA owns their own rights. So we had to speak directly to his team and the NBA to put the NBA's logos on it. So I was having conversations with his team. And, you know, at the time, Kobe was building Granity Studios, which is his podcast and his kids' books and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I started to talk to members of his team and they were like, oh, hey, we're doing this book launch in Barnes & Nobles. We have 600 stores. We can get like four different products on like a table there. What products do you suggest? So I was working on like some backpacks and some pens and some like, you know, teddy bears and all that sort of stuff. And then I was just like, having conversations with the team at Granity and they were based here uh, in California and I just moved to LA a few months ago. So we're starting to talk more and more. And I was like super excited to, you know, work for one of my idols and then all of a sudden he passed and it just like, I don't know, it, it hit me really hard. And being in LA, especially when he passed, was um, a really, um, I don't know, mixed emotion experience because you see like how much he dedicated himself to his, to this city. And it was like, you couldn't go like 10 seconds anywhere without hearing or seeing about it because everyone in downtown LA is wearing like Kobe jerseys. Uh, right. All the buses say like RIP Kobe on it. Like all the buildings are lit up purple and yellow. And it's just like everywhere was like constant reminders. So I actually just locked myself in a room and I basically studied a lot of Kobe's content on YouTube and stuff like during his career and post-career and figured out like, okay, what are the principles which really made him successful? And then I wrote a blog on it and I posted it on my Instagram. It's like a carousel post. It's like the last thing on my Instagram. And it went crazy. Like um, when I looked at the insights, it got like 200 saves, 180 forwards. I think like over 50 people shared it on their stories and a couple of big Lakers accounts posted it. 
And I was like, you know, I feel like not many people are talking about that, about like the principles of Kobe's life and how we can apply that to our own life to become successful as well. Because he was just the definition of hard work. You know, I have yeah. so much respect for him. Well, he had the, the mama mentality, right? Exactly. And like for me, like I, I'm not a basketball fan. I'm not going to act like I am. But when Kobe passed, the thing that kind of hit me was how sudden it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, it's really hard to fathom. Like in the blink of an eye, you can be gone and that's it. You know, everything you work for is just kind of, uh, of course, on this earth, if you believe in a higher being, there, there's, you know, more. But with him, I wasn't so much interested in his basketball career as much as his, like, mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to go balls to the wall with whatever he does. And it seemed like with basketball or uh, the studios he had or whatever business venture he was doing outside of basketball, he was successful at it. Mm-hmm. And that he's better than other people at those business ventures, but it means that he probably works harder than them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people say, you know, there's, there's more to it than just hard work. And I believe that to an extent, but are you actually putting in your definition of hard work or are it something getting a little hard and you're stopping, mm-hmm. you know? So I think people need to redefine what their definition of, a, of hard work is. I mean, how much are you willing to actually put towards something? How bad do you actually want something? and do that and i mean with amazon just like the success you've had with the podcast with anything out there i mean how bad do you actually want it and if you really don't want it that bad maybe it's time to say okay i'm going to go a different route for sure but i think of course with you know coming back to social media if someone else is successful at it people think that they could also be successful at it which is very true Mm -hmm. but you got to understand that you're successful with product sourcing but you also have a passion for it i could probably be passionate about with product or not passion, I could probably be successful with product sourcing. One, it would take me a lot of time, a lot of research, but would I actually even care? I'm not, I don't care. I'm not passionate about that sort of stuff, but you are. So it helps. So when shit gets hard and when you fail, you're like, okay, time to get back up, time to keep going. And that comes back to the whole Kobe Bryant mentality. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think that's a reminder more than anything that we always have to follow our passion and it's a lot easier said than done. But like the hours that you will work and the enjoyment that you'll get out of whatever you do will be, a hundred times better if you just follow your passion rather than just doing what we're supposed to do. And I feel like social media has really helped with that, of just doing what we want to do rather than what society tells us right. we should do. So that, that's been really good. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like I think people, social media is, it allows people to see other people doing different things firsthand and mm-hmm. see what they like. Mm-hmm. You know what I, what I mean is, you know, people who think that everything is their passion and try to follow everything rather than honing in on one thing and saying, this is what I actually want to do. Because the thing about it is with success, and I'm sure you've seen it too, delayed gratification is a thing. You're not going to be, you're not going to enjoy what you're doing right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You'd have to see the long goal and say, oh, I'm passionate about that long goal. How do I get there? And reverse mm-hmm. engineer it from there. But of course, easier said than done, just like you said. But you know what's interesting though, is that like, I've like studied a lot of people who have achieved massive su- success and you know a lot of them, like even like Mark Cuban and stuff, he's always like, I just wish I could go back to the days when I was in like my garage, just, uh, we we're talking about this off air, like say garage, you say garage, but yeah, <laughs> like when I was in my garage, like sort of building my company and those are really the fun times. And if right. you're following your passion, like the journey, the process becomes the fun part as mm-hmm. opposed to the destination. Because I was at Tony Robbins event uh, recently in December and he was saying that like, okay, if you set your ultimate goal and you achieve that ultimate goal, how long are you really happy for it? And like the answer we got was like maybe two weeks that you're like really happy and you're like, okay, like what's next? So it's like 
you're working like you know five years, ten years to get to that goal for what? For two weeks happiness. So you might as well enjoy the process, and you enjoy the process when you're following your passion, because it doesn't feel like work. The, yeah. For me, like I feel that like if I'm not learning, I'm suffering. If I'm not getting better at what I do, then it it pisses me off. So like it better be something that you enjoy. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I never really thought about it that way, but I think that's good that you have to enjoy the process. I mean, yeah, I, 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 the more I think about it, like that long-term goal, you got to be passionate about reaching that long-term goal, but that doesn't mean you have to suffer until you reach it. You know, you, you got to enjoy what you're doing. And I think it goes to come back to passion. If you're really passionate about it, it doesn't feel like work, mm-hmm. but you understand that I'm delaying the ultimate gratification and I'm enjoying the process along the way. But sure. you know, we're, we're going to go and start wrapping up here. I think we've taken a lot from this, but I want you to understand like my audience doesn't all source Amazon products or whatever that is. So what's one piece of advice that you could give to people out there either just starting their entrepreneur journey or already in it? Um, There's quite a few. I would say like the most important one I would say is like, and I sort of end all my presentations this way. I would say improve the leader, improve the business because I see so many people coming to like, events and conferences and they're always asking all right what's the hack like how do i get around this like facebook ad how do i get more organic reach and i'm like everyone's looking for the hacks but i think you ultimately have to just focus on yourself and if you focus on your own education and your own personal development and like it's not okay what type of business do i want to build it's what type of person do i have to become to build the business that i want and you have to start looking at your own habits and disciplines like Am I getting enough sleep? Am I waking up at the right time? Am I meditating? Am I manifesting my goals? And it's like, look at what other successful people do and just mirror it because success leaves clues. And look at people who have achieved the success that you want and just ask them, don't ask them what they do in their business, just ask them how they go about their day and how they're productive. Like, do they have a productivity planner? Do they have a gratitude journal? And those are the sort of things I feel like people don't really put enough attention on. But if you follow the right steps and you get a perfect morning routine and a perfect night routine that normally leads you on the path to success. So improve the leader, improve the business. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Really good advice. I appreciate your time, man. Where can my audience find you on social media? And so social media, I'm most active on Instagram and on Instagram, I'm just Kian, K-I-A-N underscore J-G. If you do have any questions about manufacturing, product development, anything like that, I do have a free Facebook group, which is just called Sourcing with Kian. And uh, there's like 1,300 members in there. If you've got a question, you just post it and I answer or the community answers it and I do like occasional webinars and stuff like that. So yeah, sourcing with Kian on Facebook or Kian underscore JG on Instagram. And if you've got any questions, uh, shoot me a DM. I'd be happy to connect. Awesome, man. Yeah, reach out to him on Instagram. I have it linked in the description. If you have any questions about sourcing or questions about business in general, let him know what you thought of the episode and appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks for putting on this podcast because I know how much work goes into it. So thank you very much for providing value to, to your entire audience. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. I post episodes every Monday and Thursday at 6 a.m. Central Time, and they're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other major podcasting platform. Check out our social media linked in the description and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.